Hello, and welcome to Debut Spotlight. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the forthcoming book, Atomic Anna. And today I'm super excited about my guest. This is her beautiful debut novel. It just dropped. Renee Branham is here with me to talk today about Defenestrate. I'm so excited, Renee. This book was very different from lots of books because it's told in lots of little pieces, little anecdotes that come in. And I can't wait to talk all about this. Um, before we jump in, I'm going to introduce you formally. I'm going to read your bio, and then I'm going to ask you what your book is about. So thanks for joining me, Renee. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Renee has an MFA in creative nonfiction from the University of Montana and an MFA in fiction from the Iowa Writers Workshop where she was a Truman Capote Fellow. Her work has appeared in the Georgia Review, Narrative Magazine, the Gettysburg Review, Alaska Quarterly Review, and Best American Non-Required Reading, among others. Whew. She was a recipient of a National Endowment for the Arts Prose Fellowship in 2020. She currently lives in Cincinnati, where she is pursuing a PhD in fiction. Whew, what a bio, very <laughs> impressive. So tell me, what is this beautiful book, Defenestrate, about? So um, Defenestrate tells the story of a set of twins, Nick and Marta. Marta is the narrator of the book. And um, their family has a history of um, being very susceptible to death and injury by falls and falling. Um, and this goes back to uh, an ancestor um, that pushed a uh, a man out of the window of a cathedral and he fell to his death. And so they believe that this is um, an inherited uh, sort of a curse in their family. Um, and so at the beginning of the, the novel, uh, Marta's twin brother, Nick, falls from the balcony of his apartment. And Marta's sort of investigating um, while Nick is recovering in the hospital, whether Nick's fall was actually intentional, whether he meant to fall or whether it was an accident, whether it was sort of part of the legacy of this family curse. Yeah. So, so that's um, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Okay. So we already have the first question. What does defenestrate mean? And it, go ahead. What does defenestrate mean? It's a very good question. Um, so defenestrate is uh, one of those strange words that it's like, why does this exist? Because it's so specific. It, it literally means to throw someone out of a window. Um, so yeah. it's got that Latinate fenestra, that's window, defenestrate. Um, and in Prague, in the Middle Ages, it was sort of a common form of uh, execution, actually. It was to just shove people out of a window that you didn't want around anymore. So oh my <laughs> God. Where it comes from. Yeah. So I just want to say that I loved how you, uh, in your description, you were like, yeah, so they're these twins and they think their family is cursed that everyone's going to fall, be thrown out of a window. And then you just moved on. And meanwhile, I'm like, you know, breaks. <laughs> this book is about a family who thinks they're cursed and that everyone is going to die falling. Right? Yes. And in fact, there is a long history of this happening in the book. And you go through and beautifully weave these stories of people falling. Um, but I want to go back to the defenestration idea, defenestrate first, because I remember I picked up this book because I don't know, I love I had this moment in high school history where I was like the defenestration of Prague, the Habsburgs. Right. And, I, and uh, you know, like, I guess that was like the 1600s. And um, I just thought this was such a crazy event. That was the first time I'd ever heard that word before. Right. And I remember sitting there like there's a whole word for it. And then I went onto uh, Wikipedia and turns out, like you were saying there, it was like the defenestrations of Prague. Mm -hmm. There's like the whole history of it. Absolutely. I, they yeah. Kept, 
frustrating. Like, so is this something you've been obsessed with and reading about? Like, why do you like this idea? Or how, is, how has this come to you? Well, I learned about it when I lived in Prague. Um, I lived in Prague a little bit uh, after after I finished college, my undergraduate. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, going on tour groups and the show you the window, like the defenestration of Prague took place. That's the window. You can see it. Um, and I don't know. I, I, there's something so, something so like vulnerable about like tossing someone, you know, like tossing someone out of a window. It feels so personal. It doesn't feel like, um, like the guillotine, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, and your characters sort of think a lot about it, right? And they they talk about learning in physics, about how things fall, mm -hmm. right? Would a feather and a hammer thrown at the same time fall at the same rate? They always think about it in terms of the weight of a man falling, mm -hmm. right? Or did he fall on a pile of poop or did he fall right to the cobblestones? I mean, there are a lot of different factors that could be in there that your characters are always thinking about. They are. Um, and yeah, their preoccupations, particularly the narrators, definitely border on obsession. Yeah. For, yeah. Most of the book. So um, you already mentioned that um, it uh, the book really concentrates on these twins, um, Marta and Nick, and they're um, really trying to figure out sort of, um, I'm going to say it's their coming of age, right? How to live as twins that are no longer living a life together. At some point, mm -hmm. they have to separate. Um, and then there's this question of, well, how, how well do I know my twin, maybe? Um, I was really taken by this passage. It was on page 20. I'm going to read it so you don't have to look it up. <laughs> but uh, for anyone who happens to be listening along, um, you know, the main question I think that goes throughout the book, you wrote so beautifully here when you wrote, um, and of course, the thing I could not ask Nick, could never ask, no matter how many hours or pudding cups passed between us, was whether he had meant to fall, had wanted it, had planned for it had felt the green and gray lore of the ground rising quickly to fill his eyes and had given himself over to it. And that was such a powerful moment because he himself says that he was reaching for this bird. Um, but, you know, here it is, his twin sister saying, were you really? Did you really accidentally fall? Do you, can you talk about that? Yeah. And I mean, part of the reason she suspects that the death I mean, that the fall, Nick's fall, might not be accidental, is because it really mirrors um, Nick's favorite author's death. Um, so Nick is a big fan of the Czech writer, uh, the Humal Hrabel, which is a mouthful. Um, and uh, I'm glad you said it, and I didn't yes, have to yeah, say it. <laughs> didn't have to say it. Um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of that H sound in there. But yeah, so Hrabel, um, wonderful Czech writer, um, I, I share a passion with Nick for Hrabel. Um, but Hrabel died uh, falling from the fifth floor uh, window of his hospital room when he was allegedly trying to feed the pigeons that were roosting on his sill. So Marta recognizes in Nick's fall that it mimics um, Hrabel's fall. And she suspects that he's making up this story about trying to feed the bird. So, yeah. Yeah, and you have the whole time you're thinking, what a different, um, different. I don't know if it's a different way to think of the characters or the situation if he meant it or, you know, it was really an accident. I mean, it totally changes the way you see somebody um, in real life, in the book, right, depending on 
you know, how it happened. So I thought that was a, a brilliant way to sort of set up this relationship in this book in terms of was it an accident? And I don't want to give any spoilers away or anything, but we're just going to leave it, right? Leave it there. Um, so also you point out, so this family is obsessed with falling, and yet the word or verb, whatever you want to call it, falling is all over English, right? We fall in love, we fall to pieces, we fall apart. Um, so can you talk a little bit about falling right? and that is the theme and how it's in language? Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that Marta is sort of... Um, investigating in all of uh, her sort of obsessive, you know, delving into this uh, this word falling um, and to finestrate as well, is um, she's seeking to sort of pinpoint how this experience is universal. You know, like it's obviously specific to their family. They have a special relationship to falling because of their ancestry. But I think Marta really does emphasize that that falling and the susceptibility to um, falling in love, just tripping over your shoelaces, like the sort of vulnerability of being a human in the world, um, in a body, and sort of constantly facing the precariousness of existing that way is, is one thing that is really um, interesting to Marta. So. Yeah. And so one of our listeners even points out, Margaret says, we even have fall the season, right? For the falling Ooh, leaves. Yes. Falling leaves. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and Marta has a, um, a very religious mother, a Catholic mother. So um, she meditates also on, uh, you know, the, the fall from grace, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And, and this um, idea of, of sin and separation from God, that's also a part of of falling that she's um, interested in. in the book. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the mother. So we have these twins and um, Nick comes out. He says he's he loves men. He wants to be with men. Mm -hmm. And um, the Catholic mom says, you know, sort of you I think you wrote something like falls into cliches of saying not under my roof. Mm -hmm. Right. She starts quoting scripture and, you know, she condemns it and says you need to leave. Um, and that was a very serious. There's a, a, a violence to it. Right. And um, I was wondering if you could talk about what it was like writing those moments and putting mm. them down on paper. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think my first draft of that scene was was fairly quick and fairly um, tame. Um, and my editor kept sort of eking out more urgency, more violence, um, more tension. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a part where Nick is sort of. Um, He's he's he goes on sort of a rant at the mother about like what sex with men is like um, and, and what it feels like for him. And it's, of course, very shocking for her and uncomfortable. Um, but I my my original version of that was really very PG rated. <laughs> and my editor was like, we need to bump this up to like an R rating. <laughs> we oh, I love that. Here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it works beautifully. I'm so glad that your editor did that because that, um, I, I don't want to say it's a quiet violence, but it's um, the words themselves have hold this violence. And also Marta herself is um, struggling with alcohol mm -hmm. and um, men in her life. There's also a violence there. And yes. right? I felt really scared for her. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, and what was it like writing those scenes? I mean, I feel like every woman in the world mm -hmm. can imagine being drunk um, or being next to a man who's drunk, 
who is telling you, you know, you want this. Yes. And, right. I, I mean, I think that is un sadly universal. So I, I, it must have been very hard to write. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's 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 good in a way to give voice to these things. I mean, we all have um, our own stories or at least close friends who have their stories. Um, and I really did want Marta's drinking to convey a sense of danger and, you know, like risk. Um, and I think that that's one of the easiest ways that that we face danger and risk um, in, you know, how really just socializing normally, um, we're putting ourselves in the way of of harm often. So and and Marta takes it to an extreme because she's she's drinking pretty pretty heavily. <laughs> she's she's really definitely knocking it back. So hitting that bar. Yes, she is. Yes. yes. But you really caught that moment of um I, I you know I feel like there's this moment where she says, I could just give in and let mm -hmm. this go. Maybe avoid the violence, right? And just let this happen. But you know, in that moment of am I going to or am I going to turn this into something? And that is also very universal. I think for everybody, for women, certainly in this position, but to recognize that and put that on paper, I thought was very empowering. Did that idea come to you as in a later sort of, you know, idea too? Or was that in there in that first draft? No, I think actually that whole scene was not in my first draft. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, she sort of leaves the party and stumbles home. Um, oh, but okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a whole lot of precarity and danger that's added to the drinking that um, came through in a later draft. Um, there's yeah, and there's more of Nick's um, because Nick it experiences a kind of um, I don't know a sort of complicated relationship to violence when he lives in Prague and he gets into these bar fights and um, is coming home with like cuts on his forehead and bruises and stuff. Um, so yeah, like they both sort of have very different relationships to like drinking and violence, but there is some overlap there. And those definitely surfaced in a, in a later draft for me. Yeah. And I also just want to really underline here for people who haven't read the book yet, we're talking about the, sort of these hard subjects, but there's also really the beauty that you have captured of twins and this love for one another. Um, and uh you know, I I don't know. Could you? I was wondering, like, why twins? Why did you choose to write about twins? Well, I did, I really, you know, I I have an older sister. She's six and a half years older than me, but I'm not a twin. Um, but I really did want to investigate a relationship, a family relationship, where there's confusion about overlapping identity. And I feel like Nick and Marta are so intertwined for so much of their lives that they really kind of feel like one entity almost. Um, and then as they age, there are all these reasons why they're they're more and more separate. Um, and so that really intrigued me, this idea that you could um, sort of consolidate your own identity with another person's, which even happens between siblings and and parents and spouses. But um, but yeah, I feel like twinship. Is that a word? Twinship? <laughs> I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like twinship um, really kind of embodies that. Uh, that sort of identity um, question. Yeah, I mean, you even have, I'm looking at one of the lines that I wrote down. As a kid, I assumed that if we were going to fall, we'd fall together, mm -hmm. right? And this idea that actually, no, we're not going to fall together is a heartbreaking part of growing up, but you capture that so beautifully. They're right on the edge there. Um, so I wanted to ask you about another one of my favorite um, 
passages. It's on page 116 for anyone who has this book. I'm going to read it out loud now, but if you want to look it up later. Um, I don't know. This just, I like triple, quadruple star dog-eared this <laughs> passage just really grabbed me. You wrote, perhaps the idea that a life is knowable, mappable is the real myth. Perhaps Nick's drift from me was the only way the world could begin to show its true shape. But my God, it wipes me out. A weariness so thorough, it seems to reach even the ends of my hair. Is it any wonder that in this state, I've come to believe that sleep is the thing that will save me? That the only thing capable of even touching the surface of that exhaustion is a night of drinking and a couple of sleeping pills in my palm looking up at me like eyes on a plate? Like, there you go. That's her pain, right? That's yes. her struggle. Yes. Yeah. And Marta has a very strange relationship also with falling asleep. Um, so <laughs> falling. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my God. Um, so the other obsession in the book, of course, is Buster Keaton. For mm -hmm. people who are not familiar with Buster Keaton, actually, um, there was a great um, biography that just came out and the New York Times just profiled it yesterday about him. He was a uh, silent film star. Actually, you're here, Renee. Please tell me, who is Buster? I shouldn't be talking about this. Yes, um, he was a silent film comedian, one of, one of the greats up there with Chaplin. Um, but his style is very different different from Charlie Chaplin. And um, I mean, he grew up in vaudeville, so he was sort of born to acrobatics and he uses his body in an incredibly just almost like gravity defying way. Um, and he does these very elaborate stunts. Um, it, all of his films are sort of the character that Buster plays against the elements, against fate. Um, and, uh, they're very beautiful films and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I've, I've loved Buster most of my life, certainly all of my adult life. Um, so he, when I was writing a book about falling, he had to be in it. I mean, he falls all the time. If you look up, if you Google him, look at some of his old videos, I'm terrified mm -hmm. for him. Yes. And I love that you included, there's this one very famous one where the front of a house comes off, right? You can tell you're on a Hollywood set or whatever, but they had to set it up so precisely, exactly, that the whole, whole thing fell down on him and he remained standing in the one window. Right. That went through him. Of course, the window. Right. Yes. He went through the yes. window. But um, I, I just that moment. Right. Is so uh, that's like the danger, the fear, the terror. Is he going to make it? And he just is there standing. Was that one of your favorites? That very oh, iconic absolutely. one? Yes. I mean, there are so many instances of, of Buster risking his life for the sake of of his films and these stunts. Um, and that was that was probably one of the most famous of them. He had a two inch clearance on either shoulder. <laughs> so that was about how much wiggle room he had before he was gonna get severely injured or killed. I mean, he, he would be dead. Two. How could you survive that? Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't even imagine being like, I'm gonna leave today and I don't know if I'm gonna walk back in because the house is gonna fall over me. Like, oh my God. Um, so uh, the other thing I would really love to talk to you about is the idea that um, of love uh, in terms of the family, right? Just the, the love as an overriding theme in this book, even through all of this violence and fear. Can you talk to me about how you thought about love in this book? Yeah, I mean, I think Marta's really investigating the differences between familial love and loves that are external to her family. Um, her love for Nick sort of 
teaches her how to love outside of the family, but it also kind of excludes her from having love to give. Um, and there's a character um, in, in the book that she's very fond of that she meets in Prague that she just feels that she cannot, because she sees herself in some ways as Nick's caretaker, she feels that she doesn't have enough room um, in her spirit to give to this this character. So, um, yeah. And she seemed really lonely, and yet mm -hmm. she had such a love for her brother, so much love there, and yet there she was at the bar talking to whoever would sit next to her. Yes, and she loves telling her stories, even if she doesn't really have the most willing listener. <laughs> She'll yeah. just sort of talk at whoever's there. And embellish them, right? Like, and you know, sort of add on as she tells these great family histories. Um, so I wanted to really ask you about the structure because this is what, I love the story in your writing, but the way that you structured this book was incredible. Um, as I mentioned in the very beginning, there's sort of mini vignettes. Some run from, I don't know, maybe like six or seven pages on the longer side and shorter ones are maybe one to two pages. Um, but that's how it's told. It's not traditional chapters and it just keeps running along, right? There are no page breaks in that sense. Um, and each one has a title. So here, for example, I'm going to hold this up for anyone who's looking. Here's Wreckage and Rift, right? And there we go. And then you move right in. See my dog-eared page there, another one. <laughs> how did you think about this structure? How did you, what kind of spreadsheet did you have? <laughs> no, I've been, um, I've been loving the structure for a long time, the vignette form. and. Um, you know, I write very lyrical prose. I write very descriptive prose. I love the synonym, <laughs> as you definitely experience in the reading of this book. But um, but I found that that these short titled sections were a really nice container for lyrical prose um, and very descriptive prose. Uh, and that's how I sort of started using them. But I feel like in this book in particular, they're a really nice device because Marta is a very scattered narrator. You know, she's she's looking in all kinds of direct directions and she's pulled um, between many different discoveries and questions. And so I think that this structure really allows her to sort of pivot from one idea to the next and to layer those in so that they can speak to each other. So um, I like that. It was almost like she was drunk sometimes, yes, right? And it would true. flow yes. from vignette also, to vignette. Also mirrors the sort of scattered thinking of someone who's uh, regularly intoxicated. So, yeah. And yet I followed it. <laughs> and I was not drunk when I was reading your book. You She's a mostly coherent drunk. Um, yeah. So how, but how did you do that? Like, how did you know? Did Was this rounds and rounds of editing? Were you keeping a spreadsheet? Like, can you take me inside of your brain for a I minute? Wish, I wish I could say I was a spreadsheet writer. I am not a spreadsheet writer. Okay. Um, I feel like I approach... Um, the, the mapping of these short titled sections more as someone might piecing a quilt together. Okay. Um, so sort of looking at the way that colored squares of fabric speak to one another and look side by side. Um, I didn't physically lay them out. I know some writers do do that. Right. Um, I can't do that. But, I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing, but I can't do that. <laughs> I more just sort of intuit where things belong. So maybe Marta's been, um, talking about her time in Prague. And then we sort of reground to the present timeline of, you know, visiting Nick in the hospital. So um, I was more sort of feeling my way through in a kind of back and forth format. 
Um, Did you then, move them around a lot as you went through edits? A little bit. Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, some of the, I mean, some of the most mobile ones are, they're kind of self-contained, like stories of of uh, real life falls, people who fell out of airplanes and survived. Um, you referenced her sort of uh, curiosity about the physics of falling. Um, those are the, the easiest to sort of place and reconfigure because they don't have any real bearing on the narrative. They're right. just sort of Marta's um, little riffs and, uh, and curiosities explored. So. Yeah, and how did you come up with all the names? The characters night flight. no night flight a turn for every vignette oh, the titles. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um i don't i've been told i'm a good titler you are <laughs> thank you um but sometimes i would go you know sometimes i would go back through i always would put a placeholder title and sometimes i would go back through and say that that, that one's not very good we can do better we can do okay better. i mean it was it's very very impressive that you have a title for every section i thought that was amazing um so uh i want to also ask you these are the two questions that my listeners love to hear authors always talk about the most so uh could you tell me what was the hardest part about getting published and starting off in writing um well i mean honestly i i really didn't realize what uh what an immense job it is getting like promoting your book, putting it out there, um, editing, revising. I sort of thought that when you uh, get a book deal, that's sort of it, you know, like you get to sort of lean back. Um, you definitely don't get to lean back. So uh, listeners, be aware <laughs> the work begins when you get the book deal. Um, so I had several rounds of edits that went back and forth with my editor and my editor was wonderful and so patient with me when I was insistent about like, no, this, you know, this synonym has to stay. And he pointed out that I use the word tiny on like every page. And I was like, okay, we can trim that, trim the tinies down. <laughs> um, and then of course, uh, come publication time, um, there was a lot of work to be done. It's, it's sort of its own part-time job. So, um, definitely you know keep that in mind as yeah. you're as you're planning for publication so do you think that part was harder than finding an agent you know yes, it was okay. but i also i also sort of uh stumbled upon my agent um not to put a fall, falling pun in there i i fell into the lap of my agent and she do you feel like you're doing this all the time now realizing when you say fall i do yes yes that's amazing I think about it i think about it more than i used to I also yeah. think about um, I think about my own falls more. I'm sort of an accident-prone individual, and um, you know, I was leaning against my balcony railing the other day, and I heard it creak, and I was like, "How insane would it be if I like fell to my death right when this book came out?" Um, everyone oh would God. think it was yeah. Everyone would think it was like uh, a staged promotional. <laughs> oh my God, that would be terrible. <laughs> yeah Definitely. yes but i like that you're laughing about it oh, <laughs> please yes know well okay. you know the, yeah. the railing held i'm fine <laughs> yes right um so also my last question for you is what kind of advice do you have for new writers or people who are just getting started i think you know keep writing uh write as much as you can write you know every day if you want to but don't feel like you have to um and it's it's different for everybody so you know 
Um, but practice and honing your craft, read as much as you can, read widely, read everything you can get your hands on, read passionately, share your work with other people, let them put eyes on it. That's always such a big help to me. So I think that those are my key advice points, I suppose. And, but I wanted to ask too, even more specifically um, advice for, I mean, when you have a title like Defenestrate, right? And you're dealing with actual, this beautiful book, the actual like historical defenestrations of Prague, yeah. right? Like, how closely would you advise people to stick to history? And are you looking up history as you're writing versus this is fiction and you're just taking the word and going with it? Yeah, no, I really love reading fiction that makes me feel like I'm learning something. Um, and I do tend to go to the internet, you know, when my curiosity is peaked. But, um, you know, I try to stick as close to the truth in the sections that are based on fact as, you know, uh, as fiction allows. Uh, occasionally there'd be some little tweaks and trims to sort of make things fit more cohesively. But for the most part, what you're what you're reading about these real life falls are are true, and I did do a lot of research, um, but not very yes. sophisticated research. Mostly, you know, googling and a lot of internet reading. <laughs> but don't don't diss on that. That's important kind of no, research absolutely. too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in the new era. Um, so we have one question from a listener who wants to know what is what's coming next. Oh yes, I've been working on a novel for the past six years. Um, Defenestrate was a very quick, right? It, it really did, took me about a year altogether. Um, but I'm, I'm going to- Wow. A yeah. year? You wrote that book in a year? Yes, I did. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh my God. Congratulations. Humbling. Yeah. It fell right out of me. So, did yeah. It? So, um, another family story, um, a, a sort of family saga is in the making and it has been in the making for six years, but. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm ready for it. Whenever you're ready to share, I'm here. Absolutely. Renee, thank you so much for joining me. I absolutely loved your book. Here it is, Defenestrate. May you sell many, many copies. Oh, thank you so much, Rachel. And thanks for having me. Thank you.